Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Julian Sedoti. Thanks for being on the show again, Julian. Thank you for having me again. What an honor. I'm pleased to have you back. You're definitely just an expert in this industry that everybody that's listening to the show needs to know, no doubt. And if you haven't heard of Julian before, I would encourage you to go back and listen to show WS252. And we got into a little more of her background. But you know, she's one of the leading syndication attorneys in the country. I would encourage you to look her up. She's speaking at many events, educating lots of people about this industry and how to do it legally. And that we had a great show uh, just about how to pay capital raisers or how not to pay them. You know, make sure we're doing it correctly on show 252. And uh, but you know, thanks again, Julian. And we're going to get into some capital raising techniques and some things that you've seen work. And uh, but give the listeners maybe a little bit about who you are, and let's dive right in. Yeah. So I help real estate entrepreneurs or any entrepreneur really to help them figure out how to raise equity mostly for their deals. In some occasions, we'll help them figure out how to raise debt. But a lot of times what I find out is that banks don't like debt behind them, even though it's behind them. So we really kind of focus on the equity and how to put that together in a way that's palatable both to the issuer and to the investor. So focusing on how to put the equity together, can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. So for example, I, I get a lot of people come to me and say, hey, I really need to be able to say to my investors, they're going to make X amount of dollars or they're going to make a certain ROI. And a lot of times what I find is, especially a newer issuer might not be very comfortable with doing something outside of saying, I'm going to give you an interest rate of X. Well, like I said earlier, a lot of banks don't like debt behind them. So you can't offer that interest rate of X. So how do we come to a conclusion where everybody's happy? Investors know what, where they stand and the issuer can clearly state, I am going to pay you X on your money. And what we normally see is that a lot of real estate entrepreneurs in particular will use a preferred return where they'll say to the investor, look, I'm going to pay you 8% on your money. I pay myself. And that gives the investor a little bit of confidence to know that they stand in front of the issuer and that their money is going to be taken care of before the issuer gets taken care of or the management of the issuer gets taken care of. And it's just a nice way to be able to say, look, I'm going to get you a certain percentage, a certain return on your investment uh, prior to paying myself. It acts like debt. It looks like debt, but it's not debt. It's equity. You know, somebody that's not used to hearing some of those terms like the uh, the bank doesn't like to have the debt behind them or the debt versus the equity. You know, could, just, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, a lot of times when you're going out, like we'll just use multifamily as a uh, example because multifamily is really hot right now. And if you go out to buy a multifamily property, a lot of times what the bank will say to you is, okay, we'll give you 70% on this particular property. So if you're going out and buying a million dollar property, that means the bank is going to give you $700,000, which means you have to come up with $300,000 to put down your down payment. 
And actually, you'll probably need more than that, especially if it's value add or there's some you know tenant improvements or if you have a roof that's going to be you know caving in at any minute. So you need to make sure you have enough money. So let's just say to really take care of that million dollar property, you actually need five hundred thousand dollars in cash. So if you go to your investors and say, "Give me five hundred thousand dollars in cash, and I'm going to give you a note, or I'm going to give you notes." The bank doesn't particularly care for that. They want to be the only debt holder. That's just the way it is. You know, when I was doing real estate back in 2004, 2005, it was really easy to get like three deeds of trust on a property. We did it. We had it. We had three deeds of trust on a property. A big bank followed by, generally speaking, you know, a bridge lender and then a hard money lender. We put on whatever we could put on that property. That can't happen anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. Banks don't like it. They don't like the risk of smaller investors. They don't want their position there, even though it's the first position ever to be compromised. So that's why we say you need to offer your investors equity as opposed to debt because the banks don't want to see that debt. They don't want to see notes. They don't want to see obligatory interest payments being made to other investors. If you do a preferred return, you're able to offer your investors a stated return. And what it means is it's preferred over other equity. So your equity, for example, as the issuer. So it's preferred over other equity. And what we're saying to the investors is, look, if we have the return, we'll pay the return as opposed to a contractual obligation of paying interest under a note. So I haven't heard that term before, the, uh, you know, you're able to offer a stated return. Yeah. And you don't have to just offer the state of return. I mean, I use the example of 8% preferred return, but we're often seeing things now. I have reservations about this kind of language, but that might be for a different show where somebody goes, uh, the target IRR is between 15 and 20%. So what are those people doing in that circumstance? They're certainly not offering a preferred return of 15%. And if they are offering a preferred return of 15%, my suggestion to you is to not invest in that because if it's too good to be true, it probably is. That's a very dangerous situation to be in, and, and we can explore that a little more. But I'm seeing these targeted returns of 15 to 20%. So what are those folks usually doing? What are they usually offering? They're usually offering a preferred return, like 8%. So the investor gets 8% on their money, and then they're doing an equity split on the back end. So the first 8% on the money goes to the investors. Then the remaining cash available for distributions would be split between the investors and the management, so yourselves. And there's a variety of different ways to do that. You have to work out your own numbers and figure out what works for you and what works for your investors. Now, I appreciate you going through that a little bit. And yeah, it'd be great to do a show on just the structuring and splits and some of that as well. But, you know, right now, you know, some steps maybe that you've seen people raise capital and are been successful at that and done it correctly or legally, you know, uh, could we go into that a little bit? Yeah, so I'm going to really make this super simple. And some of you are going to say, well, Jillian, I already know that. And I know, and there's a lot of stuff that's going to be really obvious about what I'm about to say, but it's important. So the first step is get a company together. Before you go out and raise capital, and I see it happen all the time, like somebody will call me and say, I'm doing my first single family flip and I want my you know, uncle and my cousin and my nephew and my daughter to all invest with me. So I'm going to just give them a note. Well, get a company together. Don't have that note with yourself. Have the note with an LLC or a corporation or a partnership, something, anything. 
all of you uh, real estate entrepreneurs out there, you're most likely going to do an LLC. So get yourself an LLC together so your investors have somewhere to actually invest. Okay. So we're going to have an LLC. So we're keeping that out of our name. They're not investing with us personally. They're investing in our LLC, correctly. Right. Exactly. And then number two, you got to determine how much money you're going to need. The worst thing you can do is say, I need, you know, we'll go back to our other example. I need $300,000 to close on this property. Well, then you have to go back to the investors and say, oopsie, I need actually another $200,000 because I forgot that we needed to make tenant improvements or something like that. So you really want to make sure that you determine how much money you need before you start going to your investors. And you have to figure out how much, what can you manage? You have to figure out what's available and what is what you know. And then the next step from that is to make your plan. And your plan isn't just, you know, what we're going to invest in. We probably already know that, but you really need to make a plan so you can answer your investors' questions. And what do investors want to know? They want to know the who, what, where, when, how, etc. They want to know how you're going to do this, when are they going to get their money back, where their money is going to go. Really important to tell them where their money is going to go. For example, if you're going to take a fee for your services as the manager, you need to tell them that their money is going to go towards that fee. Really important disclosure. And who you are. People need to know who you are and who's going to be the steward of their money. And another thing you really need to answer more for yourself than for your investors is how much money are you, the issuer, the manager, going to make? And I think this might be the most important thing that I'll say today is people really discount what they need in order to do this type of work. This work is not easy. Syndicating real estate, managing real estate is not easy. And if anybody told you it was, they lied. So you need to get paid for doing this very difficult work. And part of making your plan is planning how much money you're going to make. Because if you're not making up enough money to make it worth it for you, then it's not going to be worth it for anybody because you're going to be disenfranchised. You're not going to work as hard for your investors. It is bad for you and for your investors if you don't plan how much money you make on these deals as well. If you put no margin in there for yourself, that's a bad deal. I would invest in that. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I'd rather see you getting paid a, a significant, not salary, but fees, you know, also success-based compensation, of course, so that I can at least make sure that my money is being taken care of. I'd like to reiterate also, you know, I see it often where, you know, people are afraid to charge a fee, you know, much because they're afraid investors are going to turn away or they're, you know, they're not going to want to pay you that much. But I agree. It's like they should want you to be paid as well. So you're motivated to make this property perform. Otherwise, I mean, I, I could see where a lot of guys, if they're not making anything, it's so much work, they're liable to walk away. They're, yeah, they're going to, I've seen it. I see it happen all the time. And I will stop clients. Like clients will come in and say, no, no, no. I want to be able to say to my investors, I'm not getting paid until they get paid. Stop. Stop right there. That doesn't help anybody. If you're struggling personally, financially, you're not going to work for me. It's <laughs> not passive investment. You're not. So you could say, um, swear on a stack of Bibles, I'm not going to believe you. You have to make sure that you're receiving proper compensation in order to keep you properly motivated 
to make the project move forward. It's just basic human nature. I don't work for free. I don't expect you to work for free. It's that simple. I appreciate you saying that, even for the passive investors that are listening, you know, as well. Like, just to reiterate, it's a lot of work to do this job, to operate a property, to find it, to, I mean, to make sure we're operating our, to our business plan and making sure these things are happening. We're not just sitting back once the deal's closed and, you know, uh, on the beach somewhere, not even thinking about the property, right? No, I, as a matter of fact, I'll be perfectly frank. So if I ever come to you with a syndication, don't invest in me. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a terrible operator. I'm the worst operator. I really am. I don't mind my own hen house. You know why? Because I have this law firm and other interests. You know, I have three kids. I have so many other things going on that are a major priority for me that my properties that I personally own, I am also a passive investor in a lot of deals, but the properties that I personally own have often fallen to the wayside because I just don't have the time nor interest of taking care of those things. So that's why I really look for quality operators that are vigilant and diligent and other it's like, <laughs> because that is hard work. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of mental energy. It takes a lot of management skills. It takes a lot of metal. And I want somebody who's going to take care of those things. So I get it. I know. And you really have to give yourself some credit if you're a good operator. Great. So we've got our company together. We know we're not investing in our own name. Uh, we've determined how much money we're going to need. So hopefully through your due diligence process, you know what type of value add property or, or you know what money you're going to need, right? Not just for the down payment or you're going to know what you're going to have to put into this property. So you raise the correct amount. And we've made a plan. We've disclosed that to investors. We told them how we're getting paid and uh, yeah, how much money are we going to make? And we're disclosing that. So what's next, Julia? You got to establish your online presence. You really do. I don't care what your plan is in the future or what have you. Establish an online presence. And that doesn't mean advertising for investors. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to establish an online presence for your business. I remember many years ago, I had a client who was a single family flipper in the Northeast. And she did these beautiful projects, just beautiful homes. And I would say to her, you know, you should be putting those on Facebook. You should be showing people what you're capable of and what you've been up to. And her response to me was, well, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm bragging. Well, no one else is going to brag about you if you don't brag about yourself. And not that she was even looking for investors on Facebook. That's not what the intention was, but you want to make that establishment. So people understand who you are and what you do. Just like I'll use my own business as an example. If I didn't go out there and talk about, you know, being a securities attorney and what the law is, nobody out there would know. One of the things I do is I write lunchbox napkins for my kids and I put those online, right? So I would just be known as the lunchbox ladies <laughs> if I didn't talk about it on Facebook. Or and it doesn't have to be Facebook, but you, you get the point. You need to establish an online presence because you don't know where you're going to be in the future. You don't know who's seen, you don't know who's watching, you don't know who might be a potential investor in the future who reaches out to you and says, I've seen your projects, I've seen what you're doing, I'm interested in finding out more. I like that. And that can be somewhat overwhelming if you're not used to being on social media. You know, I, a lot of people are afraid of social media, but I've had to overcome that a long time ago and really put myself out there. And I, I can testify to that myself. It's a big help. But people have to know who you are to get to know you a little bit before they're ever going to trust you. 
Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, it just depends on what you want to do, but you can't build a business in the dark. That's not how it works. So the next one you want to do is uh, engineer your credibility and tell us what your unique position is. You know, what are you doing that's different in the marketplace? I can't tell you how many times I see offering better than average returns or always with the returns, like giving great returns to our investors. No one cares. You and everybody else, you're offering a better than average returns. And guess what's in the average? Zero percent. <laughs> of course, the average is down. Of course, you're offering better than average. I hope you're offering better than average. No one cares. Don't, I need to know what makes you, you more interesting. What makes you unique? Why would I invest with you over the other guy who offers better than average returns? So you really need to convince people of that. And I'm telling you, it's not in the returns. It's in whatever your unique position is. Have you spoken to somebody or to a group of people that understand what you're doing? And that can mean anything, by the way. One of the deals I invest in is with a father-son team, and they only invest in places they can drive to in two hours or less. And it's because of that. It's because of the family relationship. It's because of the slow and steady wins the race mentality that they have that I've invested with them. That is their unique position. It has nothing to do with returns. I trust them implicitly because of the position they put forth. But that doesn't have to be your position. That's just an example. Your position might be that you want to revitalize a particular area of the country and that's really important to you. Or your position might be you want to be in Opportunity Zone funds and you've determined that Puerto Rico is in the entire island of Puerto Rico is an Opportunity Zone fund and there are other tax advantages to being there. And so you speak to an audience that is looking for a particular tax advantage. None of that has anything to do with returns. It eventually has something to do with returns, but it starts with a unique position. So you want to tell people how you're different and give people a reason to listen to you on why they would want to invest money with you. So how did that father and son, how did they present that to you or, the, you know, the difference or the uniqueness that they had to you in a way that, you know, was uh, something you knew you wanted to invest in? Really, it was just a simple conversation. Well, what's your strategy? Well, we try to only invest in things that are two hour radius from us. And that way, if there's a problem at the property, we personally can get in the car and drive down there and see what's happening. We know that we can go to those properties and walk those properties when we feel like it. So it was that kind of hands-on approach. And that doesn't work for everybody, by the way, but it was that particular hands-on approach that, that worked for me. And, you know, I spoke about another deal that I'm invested in where it's a completely hands-off approach, where the person I invested with is just, you know, a negotiator. He negotiated a great deal for us in a asset class I was very interested in and vetted the deal for me. It's that kind of due diligence. I have another person that I'm working with right now who talks about investing in notes so that you can pay for your kid's college education and talks all about how to save for your kid's college education by investing in notes. Really interesting, unique concept. It's those kinds of things, and you don't know what part of, of an investor's psyche you're speaking to at any given time. Don't you? you have to be a good listener, see what's important to them. Yeah, and it's not just about listening. It's about solving a problem for somebody. A lot of these people who I invest with were just solving a problem for themselves. It happened to be my problem as well, right? 
So the gentleman who I invested with that invested in the mobile home parks, you know, he negotiated a better deal so we can invest in these mobile home parks. He was frustrated with his corporate job and wanted to get into real estate investing and syndication, but he did not want to be hands-on. He wanted to be passive. He lives in Southern California. He doesn't want to invest in Southern California. I mean, it was all these problems that somebody like me has the same problem. I have a corporate job. I want to be in real estate investing. I want to be passive. I don't want to invest in Southern California because the best deals aren't in Southern California. Same story. He just told his story and I related to it. It's that simple. I wouldn't go looking for problems. I would just look at your own problems. You have plenty of them. All of you out there have plenty of problems. Just solve your own problem. You'll solve a problem for a bunch of other people as well. I like that too. You talked about you know his problems related with yours, and so you all could connect. You know, could connect that way. Any other tips as far as uh, raising capital? Yeah, number six. Step number six: be ready to accept funding. You can talk all day long about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, but if you don't have the proper paperwork to take money in, there's <laughs> this is all for naught. So you got to get your proper paperwork together. You got to get a private placement memorandum together. Your operating agreement, your subscription agreement. Make sure you're legally compliant because, you know, you could talk all day and have investors throwing money at you, but if you don't have the proper paperwork together, you're going to just ruin it all for yourself. So yeah, that's it. That's really the six step approach to raising capital. So you mentioned the private placement memorandum, subscription agreement, and what else? Operating agreements. The operating agreement supports the private placement memorandum. Private placement memorandum, is, as I'm sure many people on this program have spoken about before, is the story of the investment. It tells the investor the depressing story of the investment. It is not a marketing piece. It tells the investor the six ways to Sunday, they're going to lose their shirts. But it does tell the story of investing, what you're investing in, how you're doing it, how you're spending the money. It actually fleshes out that step number three of who, what, where, how, when, how much. And then the operating agreement tells us how the company's going to run. So it supports the private placement memorandum. It's the ruling document of the company. And then the subscription agreement is the agreement between you and the investor of the investor saying, look, I read everything. I understand what you're offering. I'm agreeing to invest. And that's it. And those are the things you need in order to go out and successfully raise capital. Before we have to go, are there any tips as far as how you'd like to see that paperwork prepared? Yeah, I mean, we could go do a whole show on private placement memorandum probably, but you know, just any high level tips on how you'd like to see those documents prepared. You know, you don't have to call me, but you do need to call somebody who knows what they're doing. And your local real estate attorney is not that person. Not to knock any real estate attorneys because I'm also not the person to do your real estate closing. So if you're going to call me or somebody like me, my suggestion is, and if you're specifically doing a syndication as opposed to a fund, you want to call that attorney, that specialized securities attorney at LOI, not at purchase and sale. LOI, because that gives you plenty of runway to get the paperwork together, work out any kinks, and then go off and raise capital. And one thing we do, uh, shameless blood coming up right now, one thing we do that I don't know other law firms do it, but we will amend your documents for you at no additional charge if you don't close on your property. So if we syndicate a deal for you and you don't close on the property, We'll rewrite your documents for another property, no additional charge. That's why it's, you know, I encourage you, the risk is minimal if you call me at LOI. The risk is high if you call me at purchase and sale. Why? Because you might not have enough time to actually raise the capital. Great advice. Great advice. Nice to know. That's a great thing, too, to ask, you know, even if we're not working with you all, 
what happens, you know, we've already been working with you this long, we've prepared all these documents, we paid you this much money. What happens if it doesn't happen? If, you know, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to redo it for you. Yeah, that's great to know. Yeah. So I think that is really helpful. I, I saw that being a real problem for clients and they would wait till the very last minute to call me. I don't want that pressure and you shouldn't have that pressure. So let's work on this together. How can we get rid of that pressure? And as far as a subscription agreement, you know, I've had, I mean, like I could be frustrated, you know, trying to fill some of these out myself. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, wait a minute, this wording, I, you know, I'm confused if the answer is yes or if it's no, you know? And so I have to ask, like, I'm not sure that I'm checking the right box here, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm actually on a crusade in this office to try to simplify my subscription agreement. So I hear your problem. Your problem is my problem. I will solve your problem. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I know it's rough. Maybe what we should do is just talk about subscription agreements and how passive investors can fill out a subscription. Yeah, agreement. yeah, we'll have to do another show about that. That's great. That'd be great, well, Julian. You know, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you, and oh, and I'd like for you to mention, you know, how you give back again. Oh yeah, absolutely. So in the last time I talked about my work at the food pantry that I do, I do a anti-human trafficking organization. We're called Project Purpose International. We don't have much we have a web presence. We, don't have much of one. we have a Facebook page that we're very inactive on, but I'm hoping to ramp that up. Uh, it's one of my five-year goals is to ramp up Project Purpose International. But another entity I want to turn everybody on to that I used to support a lot is an organization called Lazarus Cancer Foundation. And they do one thing, and that one thing is they pay for clinical trials for people who are like towards the end of their life. They want to give it one more Hail Mary pass, try to give it a go. Maybe they have kids, maybe they have, you know, something to live for and they don't want to throw in the towel. So Lazarus will pay for your travel, for your lodging, for your hospital stay to do a clinical trial that otherwise wouldn't be covered by insurance. Wow. That's awesome. And how can listeners get in touch with you, Julia? Jillian at crowdfundinglawyers.net. So that's Jillian at crowdfundinglawyers.net. And I'll just give you our number two, 323-799-1342. If you want to talk to me directly, you can just make an appointment on our website at crowdfundinglawyers.net. Great. Great. Thank you again, Jillian, for being on the show. I appreciate the listeners being with us today. I hope you all will reach out to Jillian. They also have some great webinars I recommend on their website that they do. I think maybe weekly. Is that right? We do them yeah, uh, so, twice a month. Yeah, so yeah, twice a month. So uh, be sure to catch those as well. Also go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me. I'd love to get on a phone call with you as well and go to the Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, so we can all learn from experts like Julian and grow our business together. She's also active in the group. So uh, we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.